This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 27th of December 2023 at home in Wicklow. And it is a very simple episode. Um, it is basically my review of Bradley Cooper's Maestro, his biopic of the American composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein maybe most famously known for West Side Story. Um, so that is pretty much the, the entire episode is talking about that. I have a bit of a whinge and a rant early in the episode about some consumer concerns. Um, I have a bad experience I had uh, just before Christmas when I was out shopping. So that's going to be great. You're really going to enjoy that. Some really riveting anecdotes, thoughts, um, encounters from my life. So uh, let's, let's, let's just get on with it. I'll see you around the corner. Cheers. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. Thank you for choosing this episode to take in whenever you are taking it in. Now, if you indulge me and take in no speaking, no vocal for me for a moment, you might hear rain in the background. just backed off the moment I said that it backed off it's raining quite heavily I'm in the I'm recording this in the main room at home the stove is on so there's a few crackles there but this is going to be a shortish episode um, because I need I just need to uh, not be on the mic too long would you believe I'm having a party tomorrow (laughs) And it's just been a busy, busy time. It's been a busy, busy month. Uh, last, The last episode was three days late. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I think I got it out late Saturday night in the early hours of Sunday morning, which was Christmas Eve. And I was... It's so easily done, isn't it? I was contemplating this evening going, nah. I just won't bother. I was late last week. I can be late again this week. I'll just let that go and I'll do the I'll do the episode in a couple of days. And then I just thought, no, don't do it. Keep your focus. Maintain your line. <laughs> in in martial arts terms, it's like you're you're chasing the center. I think it was Bruce Lee who said, you know, the main you know one of the main sort of objectives as a fighter is to protect your own center and to destabilize the center of your opponent so maintain your line maintain your focus and when i'm teaching when i'm teaching karate um i tell the that the kids i teach you know chase that center line if they're doing their techniques one after the other along the um along the along the I was going to say along the floor, but we train outdoors in the garden. 
say chase that center line so maintain your line don't deviate so i'm not going to deviate but this will be a short episode because i need to get some sleep because i am having a party i'm having a party tomorrow for myself because i'm turning 50 in about uh, 10 or 11 days um but nobody wants to celebrate in january not in this part of the world anyway <laughs> if you're a northern hemisphere person uh january and if you know if you're a northern hemisphere person who indulges the you know the, the, the christmas celebration the christmas traditions as you go hard into that um which is basically the week up to Christmas and the week after Christmas generally that's that seems to be the peak indulgence time party time uh, which is great I love it um, but by the time you get to January you're just like detox and get focused for the year ahead and let's not think about how much money was spent over the over the holidays so um, so yeah so that's why I said you know what I will have a party, but I'm going to have it uh, towards the end of December, between Christmas and New Year's, so that's what I'm doing. So um, so there you go. So that's why I need to just get this done and get my tukus, <laughs> to borrow a word from, is it, is it Yiddish, tukus? Um, to get my, I need to get my rear end into bed. So... Mainly what I'm going to talk about in this episode is Bradley Cooper's movie Maestro, um, his biopic of the American conductor and composer Leonard Bernstein and his marriage to Felicia Montalegre. So I'm going to be mainly talking about that. So it's basically going to be a, a review, a movie review episode. I'm hoping to bring this in around the 45 minute mark at, at, at the outside. It may even be shorter than that. So that's, um, we're going back to almost the very first episode I did was around that length. But I also just wanted to have two little moments of giving out, maybe three, but two primarily. I want to give a special shout out to one of the managers. <laughs> this is really petty. Um, I'm not really engaging much mindfulness, but I want to give a special shout out, a special Christmas shout out with extra sauce to uh, one of the managers at uh, at Dunn Stores in um, down in Arklow. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Anyway, I was in there uh, two days before Christmas doing a big big Christmas shop I was running around doing various bits and pieces and and I couldn't get a trolley for the supermarket I couldn't get a trolley for Dunn's because uh, it was so busy two days before Christmas of course so I had one of those drag along baskets um, and I thought okay I'll, I'll see what I can fit into this and I I managed to fit in quite a bit, but it was, you know, it was basically overflowing. So I was kind of carrying stuff under my arms as I, um, as I exited the store and I was heading back to my car 
and lo and behold, a bottle of sherry I'd just bought fell from the basket. Didn't fall far, maybe a foot and a half. Um, that's about 45 centimetres, uh, if you want to go metric. And it was in a box, and it didn't hit the ground hard, but it smashed immediately. And <laughs> sherry was just bubbling out, uh, gushing almost out of this box. You know, the broken glass I could hear. And a woman said, oh, my heart is breaking for you. And I thought, yeah, it's kind of my own heart is breaking for myself because I was kind of knackered. I just wanted to go. And I thought, ah, it's only a bottle of sherry. What the hell? Just move on. So I just kind of picked it up and scooched it over to the side in front of another shop. This is inside a shopping centre. And went to the car, put the shopping in the car. And I thought, no, I'll be a good boy. I'll go back and pick up the box with the broken glass and the gushing sherry. And I will return it to Dunn's stores. And for then, they'll just replace it for me. Those nice people at Dunn's stores. Because I literally just left the store and spent a lot of money buying Christmas shopping. So I went back and I proposed a swap (laughs) to one of the staff. And she was like, oh yeah, let me ask one of the managers. And the manager was like, nah. No, we don't do that. We're not doing that. And I was appalled. (laughs) Now, inside, I was sort of apoplectic. I was furious, but I was trying to, you know, be civil and reasonable. Um, But I was so disgusted. I was so disgusted. And he's like, no, it happened outside the the shop floor. It's not our responsibility. Um... And I just thought, okay, yeah, I get it. That's the rule. But it's just such bad faith. It's such bad faith. It's so, it's so mean. Um, it's just, it's just the wrong way to go. And I just thought, I'd love if I had the energy, <laughs> and I had the had sufficient attitude. I would have loved to have just gone back to my car, grabbed all the shopping I just bought there brought it back, dumped it on the floor at, the, at that manager's feet and go, right, that's just spilled in here on the floor. Give me a refund and clean up my mess. <laughs> and maybe I would have given him a, a Christmas punch across the head for good measure. I was so angry. But I internalised it. I didn't take it out on him. I, you know, I gave him a sarcastic, that's very courteous of you. Um, but he was, he was resolute. Now, he wasn't been... He wasn't being rude to me or anything like that. But I just was like, oh, my God, I don't believe this. So um, that was a uh, a consumer low point. Um, and I just, yeah, you know, that, that, that company is making money hand over fist. The amount of money they must take in in Christmas week. I mean, all through the year, very successful. Best of luck to them. I'm sure, you know, they'll be gutted that I'm upset. But um, that was one. That was one. And here's another. Um, I was listening to... I was listening to Spotify. And I was listening to a Christmas playlist. And the ad that kept on playing during the Christmas playlist was for Coca-Cola. 
and Coca-Cola basically doing this kind of do a good deed campaign, like do something nice and Christmassy for somebody, you know, buy someone a Coke, give them your seat. And I just, I can't stand that stuff. I can't stand, you know, a a big kind of multinational corporation, you know, uh, uh, you know, a mega corporation like Coca-Cola who has a notoriously bad track record in certain parts of the world for their, um, their sort of violence against workers who try to organize themselves, um, their anti trade union stance. The, the, the idea that, you know, Coke is a good guy, um, Coca-Cola and is sort of, you know, encouraging us to be to be good. Um you know, what I found myself thinking was this is a very aggressive campaign. You know, our Coke sales falling. I mean, I loved that moment a few years ago. Cristiano Ronaldo, the Portuguese footballer, um, was giving a, a press conference, and there was Coke put down in front of him on on you know by the microphone, and he was disgusted and just basically you know knocked it out of the way and replaced it with water, and I believe Coke sales plummeted in the aftermath of that press conference and I thought if that's the only good thing Cristiano Ronaldo ever you know does for the world it was it was a great thing so um yeah that just that kind of corporate preaching the sort of disingenuous you know we're all about you know feelings (laughs) we're all about uh bringing people together and I just go, would you ever, would you ever just get the hell out of here with that? No way. Did you hear that sound? That was one of the cats. Hmm. Anyway, there you go. Coca-Cola and Dunn stores in my bad books. Um, very, very unimpressed. It was not, not, you know, not that I was ever impressed with Coca-Cola. Uh, but there you go. Okay, so listen. That's it. I was going to get straight to it. I had been dying to see Maestro, Bradley Cooper's movie about Leonard Bernstein. And I had just been too busy to to get to the cinema. And it didn't seem to be on in a cinema near me. I kind of missed the release date, which was, I think, at the start of December. But then it was released on Netflix just before Christmas and I finally got to throw it on and watch it start to finish on Christmas night after my girls had gone to bed still still both under the weather Um, and I loved it I absolutely loved it and I was so beguiled by it that once um, once the moment was right the following morning which was yesterday morning I stuck it on again and watched it again straight through and was equally um, seduced and intrigued and fascinated 
Um, I think I think Bradley Cooper has done an excellent, excellent job, both in front of the camera and calling the shots behind it. Um, the it's one of the best looking movies um, I've seen for a long time, and it's not that it has a singular a singular look because he's moving through different times in Bernstein's life and changing the look of you know uh, you know of the you know the costume design obviously the the set the set design the I'm, I'm not sure if he's using different film stock but the I think the the effect is so striking and for me it just worked really 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 well and the 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 film and I'm going to I'm going to talk about this I'm going to talk about Maestro with spoilers so if you haven't seen it you might want to check it out first and then come back and listen to this if you're interested in uh, in hearing my my thoughts but um, if you've seen it keep listening or if you think you're not going to watch it but you're interested anyway stay with me um the movie is basically sandwiched with um uh, with 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 the scene of Bernstein at the piano as a, as an older man in his home, and there's a, a television crew filming him, um, and that is in full color, and he is older, and he is as ever smoking, um, and the in that very opening scene. There was something about the way Bradley Cooper was smoking a cigarette and the way he held the cigarette and the way the cigarette was just so natural and sort of unconscious in his hand. Um, it struck me straight away and I just thought, oh, we're, we're in deep here. <laughs> we're in deep. It was... His performance, I think, is quite extraordinary. And there is there is something sort of egomaniacal about the performance that is appropriate, I guess, for the subject. And Cooper's... His... his, his that that wild-eyed energy that he can bring so easily um, to the to the screen, he is using it so much in this in this film, and it just fits. It fits with Bernstein. It fits with. You know everything that he's doing as as a as a conductor, as a p- composer, as a sexual being, as uh, as a lover of people, as a lover of men, um, as a lover of his of his wife and his family, as a lover of his own 
success, his own legend, um, someone who seems to be very aware of his his charisma and his attraction uh, or his attractiveness, uh, you know, to 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 other people. Um, but it's what I think Cooper achieves is much is much, is much more sort of sophisticated than that. Um, it's not just a, a two-hour ego trip or two hours with a, a narcissist. There are other there are other sort of notes and and tones and textures and dimensions that are are sort of there throughout and there is you know part of that is definitely connected to 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 guilt part of it is connected to to shame part of it is connected to trying to walk a line um where he is maintaining the outward appearance of a very happy marriage to Felicia Montalegra and at the same time pursuing his his sort of you know his, his kind of licentiousness and his, his 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 desire his lust for younger younger gay men um and so there's this kind of there's this battle there there's this kind of tension even though the movie clearly is giving us a you know it's clearly showing us that Felicia Montalegro was very aware of Bernstein's sexuality very aware that he was um you know very much involved in gay relationships um even though he had a sexual relationship with her as well and she certainly in the earlier parts of their marriage earlier stages of their marriage seemed able to hold that able to kind of accommodate it um without being too perturbed but that of course that's one of the one of the kind of narrative lines of the of the movie is watching her become more and more disillusioned depressed shut out estranged angry while he keeps going pell-mell um chasing his appetites and letting his yeah just letting his kind of his, his you know his id hold sway um and all of course in the name of making making art whether that's conducting whether that's composing whether that's teaching and Carrie Mulligan as Montalegre is is equally good now I, I was listening to the the big picture the podcast the movie podcast that I've mentioned here before and uh, the the critics on that the hosts um, Sean Fennessy Amanda Dobbins they were a bit more lukewarm about 
I don't think I don't I don't think they were lukewarm about Kerry Mulligan's performance, but more that Felicia Montenegro's part was somewhat thought you know they thought they felt it was somewhat underwritten, and that the way Bradley Cooper has been presenting the movie as oh it's, a, it's the story of their marriage, it's the story of their love, um, and the, I think the 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 guys on the big picture were suggesting that perhaps that was a little bit disingenuous, that the movie isn't equally weighted. Um, and I think that's probably that's probably fair enough. Um, but I found Kerry Mulligan just, yeah, just kind of compelling to watch. And it, the the scene where they meet, which is at a sort of a Hollywood party. Wait, is it Hollywood or New York? <laughs> I'm off to a good start. Uh, it must be New York, is it? Yeah. At a party, anyway, a party in the 1940s full of performers, actors, singers, um, very glamorous, high energy, fun, sophisticated. And it instantly reminded me of scenes in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer from earlier this year, where Oppenheimer is at similarly sort of highbrow uh, parties, you know, populated by um, academics and scientists, and you know, is similarly, you know, meeting women at them and kind of, you know, meeting his, his match on, on one level or another. And again, another movie where the women are perhaps underwritten. And I mean, on that point, I think when people are commenting about these movies and they they feel the need to sort of to raise this question you know should these female characters you know have more screen time should those characters be more wholly realized or you know should we get more of a sense of the you know the depths and complexities of of those characters and i just feel like it's it, it's so those observations or those concerns are so tethered to the, the you know, the time, the times we live in. They're so tethered to identity politics and representation, culture wars, um, whatever. Um, I, I'm not, I, I couldn't tell you what wave of, of feminism um, this is now. Um, but I don't entirely trust it and okay you've got you know the, the two movies i've just been talking about maestro and oppenheimer you know both directed by by men but the subjects are very significant um very significant 20th century men um who you know it achieved things of of great significance in their respective fields and were were lovers of of women um and that like that is interesting i mean like it, it it's it, it's it's interesting like the women are interesting in so far as 
what are they you know what are they doing in this relationship what is the cost to them in this relationship what do they bring how do they you know what do they catalyze in the men that they're involved in involved with and i don't know if that you know if if not kind of going beyond that is unfair to those women um i just think that look maybe that's not the that's not the focus of the story but i like the characters i like the female characters in oppenheimer the two different um significant women involved in oppenheimer's life played by emily blunt and florence Pugh. um but Carrie Mulligan, Carrie Mulligan definitely has more to do and I think is better represented in, in Maestro. Um, so I've no, I don't, I, I, you know, I had no issue with her being, you know, less than or having... Can you hear my dog in the background? Pepper, just settle down. She gets a bit active when she's dreaming. She's on the couch there with the... Hey, hey! Cut it out. Sorry. Um, anyway. Kerry Mulligan is great um, in this role. And I think... captures something that's very believable which which is the sort of tension and frustration of watching someone you love sort of discard you and not only discard you but then bring into your sort of intimate place, your family home, your family space, the the person that you've been discarded for. And in the in the film, this happens, I guess it's the early seventies. Um and there's a young a young man that Bernstein falls in love with or in lust with and he just unapologetically you know insinuates his way into the family um at the actor's name I hadn't come across him before his name is Gideon Glick um and I just I found him excruciating I wanted to kill him <laughs> I felt I felt very protective of Felicia and I just, yeah, yeah. There, 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 there's, there's something that Cooper captures. Something about the now, if it's the male sexual appetite or it's the the gay male sexual appetite, he he captures it very well, and it is not to be contained. And certainly, that side of Bernstein is is rendered very vividly um 
no, not, not explicitly. It's, it's not. It's, there isn't. There, you know, there aren't any really gratuitous or explicit scenes in the in the film. That's not. That's not the. Um, that's not the vibe. Um, quite the contrary. There's a lot of very you know, very tasteful shots, I suppose. Um, but there's no there's no question. Like Cooper's not shying away from going, this was a huge part of who this person was. Um, but in any case, to go back to the sort of the larger uh, impressions of the movie, um, Cooper, after those opening few minutes, cuts dramatically to this stark and very beautiful black and white um, you know, photography to set us up with the early success of Bernstein um, as he ascends to be the, the, you know, the the chosen conductor of the, is it the New York Philharmonic in Carnegie Hall. Um, he's stepping in for someone who's unwell and he's only 25. And basically what we see is the young Bernstein getting a phone call in the in the dark, but the screen is filled with a curtain, a large curtain with light behind it. And what it looks like, it looks like a stage. And you think, oh, where are we? But Cooper answers a phone and he's clearly just woken up. And you're thinking, is he sleeping in the theatre? Where is he? What's going on here? But it's it's just a it's just a, a New York loft apartment, and he opens the curtains and rolls over his gay lover played by Matt Bomer you know does a little drum beat on his butt and skedaddles out of bed and there's this very flashy camera shot that kind of flips upside down as Cooper sprints from his room into an empty Carnegie Hall and he's still in his you know in his pajamas and then the camera rolls again and now he's fully clothed and about to walk on stage at Carnegie Hall for the first time to to conduct. And yeah, I, I just thought it was real sort of bravura filmmaking. I found it instantly intoxicating. It just dragged, it just you know grabbed me and pulled me in. And Cooper is using Bernstein's music throughout the movie. The movie's drowning in Bernstein's music and if you have spent any time consuming American movies of the 20th century and the sort of mid 20th century you will know Bernstein's music particularly from West Side Story particularly from On the Waterfront um, maybe maybe Anchors Away no not Anchors Away On the Town musical you know, the sailors on leave in new york um he did i think he did the music for rear window as well but it doesn't matter i mean even i mean on the waterfront and west side story i think are so definitively bernstein like the motifs the the sort of the sexiness of the music the energy of the music the the fluidity and soulfulness of the music giving giving life to the city giving life to the streets giving life to the buildings giving 
life to that sense of imminent danger or imminent death um, and moments of great tenderness and, and subtlety but just you know just instantly recognizable even if you can't name it it just is so vivid and you know electric uh, and just so full of life it's such it's such it's such confident music and it seems to me how typical that that would be the case for a composer who is in his young prime in the 1950s you know post second world war america um and hanging out you know a young guy hanging out in new york with you know the choreographer jerome robbins with aaron copeland um you know these brilliant kind of gay creatives um and there's you know the music just captures the the sort of confidence the confidence the joy the the sort of no holds barred going for it um so it's kind of just you know punching you in the face and then catching you as you fall before you hit the ground and yeah so Cooper uses this again and again to different effect in the film and it's 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 really effective um and so we follow we follow we follow uh, Bernstein into this relationship with Felicia Montalegre and their sort of hyper verbal um you know hyper verbal chemistry um at this party their their affair begins their relationship begins um and then there's a a lovely scene where they're they're sitting in this you know park i guess it's is it meant is it meant to be central park i don't know but they're just sitting back to back playing like a, a theater game where they have to try and you know because she's a you know an actress and she's they're trying to feel this you know what number am i thinking and it's just this kind of crane shot that kind of comes down from high and just gently sweeps down to them and this is still in black and white um in fact the black and white kicks it 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 stays in that lovely black and white through the 40s until the i think it's around minute 46 or 47 and then bang we're into color and it's it's later in the piece and you know they've had children the children are older and things are you know we're in a different stage of the marriage um and Bernstein's starting to be less discreet with his affairs with these gay lovers and Felicia is clearly you know the the gloss has gone off their arrangement and I think I, I, I didn't finish the point earlier I was trying to make about this tension that's there in Cooper's performance as Bernstein this kind of tension of you know, he's within certain circles. He can be very open and very out as a gay man, um, and a, you know, a celebrated 
you know, a celebrated man in his community of, you know, artists and aesthetes, musicians, composers, music students. He doesn't have to hide too much. But it is still the 60s, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. And so there is that tension where, no, I can't, I can't be all out there with it. I still have to walk this line of, I'm married, I'm a straight man, I'm a father of three children. Um, and there is, a, there is a, you know, there's a scene later in the film where his grown-up daughter, you know, maybe like college age, uh, played by Maya Hawke, Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter, um, who I saw earlier this year in Asteroid City. Um, she's really, she actually, she's very good. She's very good in this. Just again, something about, the, 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 again, another... Um, another indication or reflection of the success of the film is just the way Cooper gets these very nuanced performances from the actors and the way they are capturing or portraying the sensibility of the time in how they speak, their sort of vocal patterns, um, even their body language. It's, It's really, really good. It just feels very authentic and you know cooper you know as much uh, you know more so than anyone you know moving through the times moving through different stages of his life but there is this scene where he is basically denying to his daughter that he is gay because she's you know heard rumors um of his kind of philandering around uh, a university town and he's like no it's all just jealousy um and you can see, you know, she says that she's relieved. And there's just this moment where he just kind of, you know, plays the the conflict. Where, you know, he just wants to tell her they're true. Those rooms are true. I am that. You know, I'm this as well, but I'm also that. And Felicia has warned him, don't tell her under any circumstances. So he doesn't, but it's, uh, you know, it's again, it's another little moment of, um, you know, of tension, of, of complexity, um, of underplaying, which, um, you know, these are the sort of, you know, the, the offsets to all the larger moments in, 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 the, in the movie. Um, and I'm going to come to one of the, you know, the largest moments in the, in the movie uh, in a moment, but the other two things I want to comment on in the film are the the soundscape and the cinematography. So the soundscape, of course, you've got a soundtrack with low, you know, lots of different excerpts from Bernstein's own music. It's different, you know, different scores and pieces that he wrote, um, as well as sometimes just music that he conducted, which is not wasn't composed by him. I'll come to that in a second, but. There are several moments in the film where the characters are are outside and the sound design just shifts from their dialogue to the more ambient sounds of nature and wind features very prominently in at least two, if not three, different sequences and kind of takes over. Um... 
and it's really yeah it's just really interesting and there are another couple of different sound choices which um are when towards the end of the film and again spoilers here you know but again i mean if you go back and just read the biography of these characters even a wikipedia page you'll get the basic facts felicia montalegra was diagnosed with cancer and, and died from it um in 1978 and so there is a a, you know the latter part of the movie focuses on her diagnosis and decline and there's a very moving scene towards the end of her right at the right at the end of her life when Bernstein comes in to sort of check on her and he's in very jovial you know form um when he kind of gets gets onto the bed behind her and he's just quietly sort of weeping and her breathing is getting ever more erratic as she stares out through the window at a at, at a tree on a, in the in the fading light until her last breath goes but again it's just the listening to their voices listening to cooper's crying listening to mulligan's breathing no dialogue and it's a choice again in good films nothing happens by accident everything is deliberate everything is a choice um there's a scene before that where cooper take you know as bernstein takes himself into uh, a room slams the door holds a pillow up to his face and just screams into it and then sobs through the pillow and it's just these kind of guttural animal sounds that again are very just very effective very they just kind of strike home um um so the sound is really really interesting i think throughout the throughout the film the the cinematography is is fascinating and again nature the way cooper's you know getting you know those scenes to be shot i can't remember who the the cinematographer was but there are so many shots in the film where the camera is just really far away from the subjects. You're shooting, you know, basically Cooper and Mulligan are being shot from distance. You know, walking across a field, you know, with you know trees rising around them. Um, shot in their garden, but from distance, as they have a very intimate and quite tense conversation um you know about, you know about the you know what's going on in the marriage um and it's kind of shot from the end of a little sort of avenue that has a view to the the swimming pool outside the house and we can't see their faces we just hear their voices and we see the figures at distance um and then another another scene where Bernstein comes into the room in in the family home kids are older the young gay lover is there and he announces that he's just finished writing something and Mulligan uh, you know Montalegre jumps out of her seat leaves the room to go outside good lord Pepper what's going on 
I apologise for those sounds. That's my dog. What, what are you doing? Just relax, will you? Go and get a drink of water. Go on, get some water. She's just staring at me. Anyway, Montalegre, Kerry Mulligan, jumps out of her seat, goes outside, runs to the swimming pool, and again, the camera pulls way out, and we just see her from distance going around to the diving board, getting up onto the diving board, going to the end, and just jumping in the pool, fully clothed. But it's from distance. It's such an interesting choice. And then we get a close-up of Cooper's face just kind of going, what the hell just happened? And the rest of the you know the family members are amused. But you can see, again, just this kind of, he's registering just this kind of, this tension, this, I, I, I have no control over this person. I don't know what is going on. I, I don't know how to interpret this. Is she, you know, why why does she want to be submerged? Because now that I've finished composing, maybe I'm about to go on, you know, go on some, um, you know, great kind of sexual escapade, you know, as my as my reward. And she can't stand it. So she's just going to disappear underwater. But again, it's not said. But really interesting shots and very beautifully lit and there were moments when I just thought these scenes are like something from a life photo shoot from the mid 20th century 50s 60s and it made me think of JFK and Jackie Um, and I just thought that idea of um, you know when life captured those images from the Kennedys you know they refer to them as Camelot and this kind of idealized romantic life and this idealized first couple and I found myself reflecting on this and going okay so is Cooper is he trying to say the same thing that this was another idealized couple the beautiful couple the successful couple because uh, Montalegre was a, a successful very successful actress as well um stage actress and television actress so there's that thing of kind of you know are these great american lives and are they part of the fabric of the consumption of great american lives and the way great american lives were branded and marketed and the way they played out in public, you know, interviews on TV shows, um, you know, basically, we're, we're, you know, we're talking about celebrity, um, you know, glamour, sex, celebrity, talent, um, ubiquity, you know, constantly there. And, you know, Bernstein was someone who was constantly out there in the, in the public eye, uh, you know, famously kind of conducting concerts um for uh i've gone blank on what they were called but he was doing kind of young people's concerts wasn't he as well as teaching and some of the best sequences in the film are of him conducting and teaching which brings me to the the sort of pièce de résistance of the movie which is um 
a recreation of Bernstein conducting a Mahler symphony in Ely Cathedral in England. And apparently you can find footage of this online. I haven't I haven't bothered to be that anal to go and do that. But it is an absolutely breathtaking sequence in the film. And it culminates with Bernstein taking his bow and then realising that his previously estranged wife, Felicia, has come to the concert and is standing um, just off to sort of applaud him. And they have this very emotional embrace where she takes back something that she said to him in one of the... There's a, there's a scene earlier um, where they have a big row about the state of their marriage and the lies and the hypocrisy and the deceit. And they, you know, they fire some shots. Um, but ultimately it's... I mean, this is the kind of the great romance of the film and maybe the great romance of their lives um, was that they really did love each other. And that love was, you know, was very, you know, very meaningful. Um, and I certainly found that very, I found it very engaging. I found the performances really, um, I used the word compelling or earlier. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use that again. Yeah, compelling. Just, you know, fascinated by their interiority, fascinated by how they'd resolve things, fascinated by the stakes. Um, and I just thought, yeah, I just thought, I, you know, I was surprised when I heard the guys on the big picture that they, they didn't talk about the sound, they didn't talk about the the look of the film in any great detail. They were a bit more concerned about, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, the parallels between Bernstein, the egomaniac, and, and they were saying this affectionately, Cooper, the egomaniac, um, and we're, you know, Sean Fennessy in particular was wondering, you know, what's Cooper going to do next? Can he do a different kind of film rather than putting himself, you know, front and center as the, the kind of semi-tragic, super talented artist and the, you know, the woman who's kind of propping him up. Um, but yeah, um, look, that's all I have to say. I've gone well over my forty-five, um, maestro is I think it's unlike anything you're you're, you're going to see you may think to compare it to or put it alongside tar um which I spoke about uh, a couple of months ago tar or maybe maybe more than a couple of months tar was the kind of the the, the music conductor movie of last year with Kate Blanchett um in an extraordinary performance a very different kind of film and uh, I think I think you can have both of them. I don't think I don't I don't think Maestro is lesser. It's very different. Um it's a very different beast. And I mean I think ultimately as much as yes, it is about that relationship Bernstein had with um Montalegre. I think it really is about Bernstein. It's about Bernstein and his his charisma his 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 energy his magnetism his brilliance um his uh yeah his 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 appeal his his sexiness and 
I just think it, it, it succeeds. And maybe it succeeds because, you know, Cooper takes a lot of those boxes himself. I mean, these are two, I think they're two absolutely brilliant films. Um, his his first two movies, A Star is Born, I've spoken about before. I'm a big fan of that film. Um, and I think he's done something, you know, equally good in, in quite a different way in, in Maestro. So... Um, Definitely one of my my favorite film one of my favorite films of the year without without hesitation. So that's it. I'm gonna leave it there. That's my that's my that's my review of Maestro. That's my recommendation. Do go and see it. Go and see it on Netflix. I mean, if I can find it in a in a cinema, I'll go and see it in the cinema because I'd like to hear it in a cinema with that bigger sound. And um, yeah, I'll let you know if I do that. And I'll also let you know next week uh, how my party went. <laughs> <laughs> if it were scenes of carnage or if it was very genteel and refined okay thank you so much for listening uh, you can find me on social media in the obvious places um, YouTube Facebook Instagram the clear out podcast you will find me there if you like what you hear if you enjoy this show you can always support me in a financial way get behind this independent podcast is independent creative effort using patreon so that's patreon.com forward slash the clear out and for the price of a cup of coffee a drink a sandwich a few bars of chocolate whatever um you can validate what i do you can compensate me for what i do and i'd be very very grateful but if you can't do that throw me some love on social media spread the word recommend it to a friend leave a review rate the show that all helps and um, that would be great thanks very much okay thanks for listening mind yourselves I'll talk to you soon all the best bye it's time.